Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called Breaking the Identity Trap. The word identity is referring to sameness. You know, there's been struggles, I believe, by many human beings around identity. Like there's a fight between wanting to be the same and at the same time accept our unique self, our differences, how we can be different from others. So it has been a struggle for myself, for yours truly. I struggled with my identity at times thinking I'm not Uchilmiuch enough, not indigenous enough because I wasn't a fluent speaker before I got involved in ceremony because I didn't do ceremony. You know, so I struggled with that. So today's podcast is about breaking the identity trap so we can be who we are and accept ourselves and be all right, be okay. And to join me in this discussion today, I have a wonderful young guest. His name is Jeremy Ratt. He does podcasts for CBC. He's a musician, songwriter. So he's going to be joining me today in this conversation about identity, breaking the identity trap. So I'm looking forward to our conversation um, with Jeremy, and which we'll be getting into, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. The whole part of created identity was first off that um, I've, I've done research on it because I started to actually work and people asked me to talk about racism. Right. Um, you know, 19, I think it was 95 or something like that. So, of course, I started doing research. I'm an avid reader, but I 
I said, okay, where does this start? This, this um, racism identity. So, of course, uh-huh. the first thing I'd done was look up the word racism. And race, of course, is um, about ethnicity. And ism is a word, it forms uh, nouns, and it's about negativity, like alcohol, like alcoholism. Like I'm an alcoholic, that means I have a negative experience with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's um, alcoholism, raceism, chauvinism, you know, so that ism forms, a, it's letting us know that there's something negative happening there. So I looked that up and I said, okay, what's a negativity between indigenous people and Europeans or people that come here? So I looked back and um, the Pope in 1492 in Europe had tremendous power over over people. You know, people were afraid to go to hell, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if the Pope excommunicated you, which means kicked you out of the church, you wouldn't have a way to go to heaven. So the, the next thing is is hell, of course. So so I looked at, I, I was reading that, and um, Christopher, when he went back, talked to the Pope and said, there's people there. And the Pope of the day said, are they Christians? And um, no, they're not. Okay, then the Pope said, as we'll call that terra nullius, which is an old Roman law, which means empty land. That means we can go in and take take whatever we want. So, uh, so that opened the door because we weren't Christian, was inferring that we're inferior because we were not following Christ. Of course, we didn't even know Christ existed, you know, before contact. Yeah, so... So this whole, there's something wrong with those people sentiment started to, started from there. Mm-hmm. It we're inferior because we don't know, we don't follow Christ. Right. Because Christian means to be, that you're like Christ. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and Christ was a healer. He was generous. He was compassionate. He was all of those things that I understand anyway, because I, I grew up in Christianity and the schools. So anyway, so this whole, I call it a created identity for indigenous people started way back then. That we're stupid, we're lazy, we're crazy, we're drunken. They kept adding to that ism, that that forming noun, you know, of um, indigenous people. So that's why when I first heard about you and seen the email and stuff and I listened to one of your podcasts, I say, hey, this is brilliant. A person like your age, you're young. I mean, you're very young. You know, I come to when I was 27 years of age. That's when I kicked the bad habits and I started to turn to culture and to, to you know, to, to being a part, become part of the solution. Yeah. To, to what's going on because so anyway so I um, I really started to look at this identity business because mm. I remember as a youngster being ashamed of being ind- indigenous 
because I'd see yeah. violence and uh, intoxication and things happening around me. And it wasn't mm. like it was all like that. But that's all you need to do is be in the midst of some violence and it impacts you. Yeah. It marks you. The word character, characteristic, comes from the word character, and character means a sharp etched line. Mm. So my characteristic of shame come from seeing violence. And it wasn't all violent. I want to make that very clear. Mm. But the ones that I'd witnessed that as a child imprinted on my brain. Mm. And I started to feel this shame because of what I was what I witnessed at times in my young child's life. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, so I, I grew up with this created identity because I'd hear the word stupid Indian, those crazy Indians, those lazy Indians, you know. That's what Canada was talking at the time. Mm. Citizens of Canada. Not all of them, but enough of them where I heard it. Yeah. And it started to put marks on my mind. Mm. But at the same time, when I look back at it, I would hear these beautiful stories about our people from elders, about the mm. generosity, the respect, how they would train people, what they would do. I was fortunate enough to have be in the presence of elders where their first mm. language was their language. In their first school, I call it fireside PhDs, you know. They were <laughs> they were on the land, they were on the fires, they were in the ceremony. They were That's the way to live. Yeah, and that's the way that's the way that formed them, that formed their worldviews of being interconnected with everything, you know, the animals, the birds, the air, the water, the land, you know, and it was in the language. So anyway, so I wanted to tell you just a little bit about myself. You know, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a stepfather, I'm a brother, I'm a grandfather, great-grandfather, you know, and um, a friend... And uh, someone that, you know, found out that part of my biggest healing to help me with my healing journey was to start to help others. Yeah. That um, it helped me to forget about myself. Mm -hmm. You know, because when I got focused on myself only, it was, oh, poor me. You know, I've been assimilated, I've been colonized, all of those things, right? Right. But I, I'm not, I'm not now. Yeah. So I don't say colonized anymore. I'll say decolonize, <laughs> but I won't say yeah. colonized. I'll say mm -hmm. decolonize, like uh, the colonizer, for instance, Yeah. brought um, alcohol as part of their way of taking over because they could see the mm -hmm. impact of it on indigenous people. Mm -hmm. I'm in Manitoba, so I've, I read a book here called Clearing the Plains, about how they, how the big farms come to be in the prairies. Mm 
Mm. Part of it was through Hudson's Bay Company coming in, you know, getting the furs. And they one year they brought in 2,100 gallons of rum that they were giving away to the indigenous people because they can get a better deal. Mm. So that's part of a created identity about drunken, yeah. about drunken. You see, so if I decol I decolonized myself by not drinking, for instance. Mm -hmm. I decolonized myself by not swearing, because that's a colonizer yeah. language. Yeah. I was effing stupid Indians, you know, and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my way of decolonizing. By doing ceremony yeah. by doing ceremonially consistently. Mm -hmm. Burning medicine, having sweat ceremony, you know, doing things and, you know, on certain days, like um, when there's an equinox, all of those things, I have a ceremony. Yeah. You know, so that's part of my decolonization because when I was a colonized person, I was going to church, not putting down mm -hmm. the church. Church has helped many people. But mm -hmm. for my identity purpose, to embrace my identity. Yeah. I looked at our ways and I believe in it. I live it. And that's to me is for my I think decolonizing is a personal thing for everyone. Like mm -hmm. how you decolonize yourself or even if you think you need to, you know, is up to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's the same for everyone. Because I've learned that I I cannot tell people what to do, not to do. Yeah. I can suggest I can tell children, hey, don't do that. <laughs> you know, they're going to hit each other or something. Mm -hmm. But with adults, I was told by one of my friends, he was watching me with uh, my teenage children, and I'm telling him what to do, and he put takes me aside. He says, Jerry, that's a young man now. He's not a child anymore. <laughs> you suggest to them what to do. You don't tell them what to do. Because he's a he's an adult now. He's a man. He can have children. When I think of that, I think that's brilliant. Because if I keep telling him what to do and he rebels against me or whatever, you know, all of the things that happen between parents and children and siblings, you know, is um, okay. I'll suggest. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, as being indigenous. Yeah. You know, because my dad, my late father, was brilliant. Yeah. But he was indigenous, that's why. He didn't question yeah. didn't question his identity. <laughs> he lived yeah. he lived his identity. No confusion there. Yeah. Oh, I'm Statlium. This is the way we do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like trained us to work, to work hard. You know, to be respectful. You know, he says, that's our way. Mm -hmm. He says, um, you know, my late parents used to push push me to helping people at gatherings like funerals and things. You go over there, you don't just stand around. You become involved. You help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that is a good way, you know. And, um mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's part of, you know, when I talk about identity, 
what is indigenous being? Mm-hmm. You know, and for me to deal with, for instance, my mixed heritage, you know, it was, uh, first, of course, and like everybody else, I sort of denied, oh, no, I'm statly, I'm, you know. <laughs> but after that, after a while, I started to embrace it. Yeah. Who am I to question my relatives if they fall in love with somebody else that's not indigenous? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So anyway, so that's been part of my journey, and it's been um, exciting. I have had a chance to travel across Canada from east coast to west coast. That's incredible. Oh, up to Anchorage, Alaska, and the Northwest Territories, and uh, Yukon, down to the Mm -hmm. United States, you know, as part of my work. Mm -hmm. And as part of my education, I've traveled different parts of the globe, too. That's awesome. Yeah, to, um, you know, I put it in my mind, all the journeys I'm going to make, when I go somewhere, I want to learn something. Yeah. I want to get some knowledge, like when I go to England or Italy or Greece, I want to learn something. I like to think about that with my days as well, where it's like, I'm going to come, I'm going to go to sleep with something new today. Yes, (laughs) that's a good one. Okay, Jeremy, so that's me. So tell me about yourself. Oh, well, thank you very much, Jerry. I well, I wanted to say, I wanted to thank you for everything that you're doing because and I, I'm really blessed to have you, your team reach out to me because, um, you know, I was listening to uh, season five, episode one of your mm-hmm. podcast. And what happened was um, it was raining because I'm here in Vancouver and it's, uh, it's in that season where it's, it's raining and snowing at the same time. So on the ground, there's just slush. And I had a, I had your podcast playing in my headphones and I was, um, I had a hole in my shoe <laughs> and I, I was walking and I was, you know, trying to avoid puddles, but my feet were still getting soaked. And I was like, well, at the very least I'm listening to an elder. And I was happy about that. <laughs> I, I was really, I was really, uh, amazed by your, your podcast and your story and just hearing you, uh, share your reflections it was really comforting so i it speaks to me because um you know i'm 20 going on 21 this month actually and then um you know to see everything you're doing up until you know 72 to 7 73 helping people that's that's an incredible thing and it's something that i'm trying to do right now too so yeah i i was born in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and uh, on my mother's side, she's she's Cree, she's Woodland Cree, and that's where my that's where that's the indigenous side of me, or I, as I say now, just you know that that's who I am. And my father had a bunch of um, had a bunch of different European ancestries, but I don't take claim to any of them because it's uh, like you were talking about, like Irish, French, German all these different things and they're part of me, but you know, I, I, he wasn't a part of my life in any way. So it was my mom and I, and she's a single parent. And that's where I would, uh, you know, start having these, uh, 
feelings of not knowing where to be in life because I had pale skin at the time. I still have lighter skin to some extent. So I was white passing. So <laughs> you imagine the confusion when you're you're on the reserve. I was in Pelican Arrows and have other kids thinking, looking at me funny because they thought I was white <laughs> in the res. And they're like, what is this kid doing out here on the reserve? And then in the city, uh, I mean, the same thing. Nobody thought I was really native either, but I know I wasn't white. So I, I had this, this 50-50 split, or at least that's what I thought of it back then. And I, um, I carried that with, with me throughout my whole life, but I never really told anybody about it because I didn't think it was a valid problem. And uh, my mom and I always lived under my mom. So she, we, we would move from town to town every couple of years. So I would go from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan to Regina, Saskatchewan. And then actually 10 years ago, uh, 2012, I moved to Invermere, British Columbia because my aunt um, married someone who is Shuswap. And that's on their territory, right? Ah, yes. Yeah. And my, uh, so then therefore we got introduced to uh, my uncle's side of the family, who's all Shoe Swap. And the wonderful thing is they had reclaimed a lot of their, you know, a lot of who they were as indigenous peoples because my step grandfather owned this, this land that was, you know, the land of his people. So I, I, when I came to Invermere, there's all these vast open fields where all these old houses were from the 1800s where the people would go. And like it was by the river, it was by a creek and they would have sweat lodges. They had a sweat lodge and they would do sweats and they do fasting and they do all the ceremony and it's on traditional territory. If you look in the ground, you'll find arrowheads mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. from all the way back then. Yeah. And they were all, um, my, my grandparents on that side were survivors. On both sides of my family were survivors of residential school. So when I came there, you know, I was given an opportunity to partake in ceremony and partake in, uh, you know, a, a lot of what our, our cultures, a lot of our culture in ceremony and to be with, be with our people. And I didn't, really take it, uh, I didn't really uh, indulge myself in that when I should have, because I was still carrying that shame that I had my entire life of not really feeling native enough or not even wanting to be native, which is the worst part. Mm -hmm. And that's what really spoke to me when you were talking on your podcast about how, you know, you, if you're growing up as someone in Canada, as as an indigenous person, you spend your whole life hearing what you were saying before, those stupid Indians, those drunken Indians. And all of those words were sticking to me when I was young. So I didn't know if I wanted to associate with who I was. And that really came to a head when I came to a place like Kelowna. And that's where I moved to after in Vermeer. And um, it's where the Okanagan peoples are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but Kelowna is a very, um, I don't want to say 
I, I have my own judgments, obviously, and those <laughs> are my opinions. But it's a very conservative white retirement town, so it has a lot of um, a lot of isms, as you would say, in terms of like racism. Like, you know, there's a lot of people there with a lot much older mindsets that call back to things that we struggle with to this day. And, uh, so when I was seeing something like that, I was I was finding myself in high school. I was a teenager by that point. And I was finding myself in a school full of, uh, you know, kids, white kids who were like the kids of doctors and lawyers and real estate agents and all these very wealthy people. So I, I was surrounded by these people, these 16-year-olds who had cars and watches and phones and all these other things. And I was a, I was a broke, half-native kid living under my single mom, so... That made me feel bad about myself even more, even though I shouldn't. I knew it was wrong to feel bad about it, but I still did. And that's the thing about shame is you carry it even when it's invalid sometimes. But you just can't help it. It's an indulgence. It's an evil in its own way. Mm-hmm. And as I was starting to find myself as an artist, I started to write. And that was one of the wonderful things. Is I, I, I do want to mention that my childhood, I don't think it was bad. Mm-hmm. There were bad things about it, but I don't think it was, um, you know, it was hard because I grew up poor. Like, I I do know the feeling of having utilities cut off. I know the feeling of seeing my mom struggle with these things. And me being a kid, I wasn't able to help her because I'm a kid. <laughs> so it was really difficult to go through that. But at the same time, I think my mom had such an independence and she still does. She has an independence and a strength about her that I always admired in terms of being able to take care of herself and being able to take care of me. My grandmother, my cookum, she, um, she is also a survivor of residential school. And I find that, um, my mom told me, you know, when I was growing up, when I was your age, my, my mom had a trouble saying, I love you to me. Mm-hmm. But that's not her fault because she didn't, she was, re- residential school took away our, took away our, our learnings of how to love one another, our, our learnings of family and our teachings. So when um, my grandmother had all of her kids, all of those kids, when they started having their kids, their, uh, my, my grand, their grandkids, they started to, they, they really kind of put the stop on that and they started practicing that reciprocity that they didn't have when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. So my mom would tell me, I love you, my boy. I'm proud of you. You can do these things. And that's nothing against my cookum. I just, she's affected by trauma in her own way. Mm-hmm. My mom's affected by trauma and I'm affected by trauma. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest breakdown was that none of this is our fault. This is, this is, just uh, an institutional evil and institutional negativity that has stemmed hundreds and hundreds of years and like rippled and rippled and rippled. We're still here healing from it, but that's the important part to focus on is that we're still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's this, that's the part that keeps me going. So mm-hmm. yeah, my mom, my mom was an artist or is an artist and she, she, um, she went to film school when I was growing up as well. So she would show me all these different um, movies, TV shows and music. And 
she was so encouraging of me to, to do all of those things as well. So I started doing those things. When I was a teenager, I started writing. I started making short films. I started playing guitar. And it was incredible because I was, as I was finding my art, I was learning to find myself. And as I turned 18, this is two years ago, going on three years ago, uh, I had this realization that, you know, I never really got around to that native identity thing, even though that's who I am. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't figure it out yet. And I realized that, and as I was thinking about going to college, I was like, no, I want to resolve this in some way. If I'm going to put myself out there, I need, there's some part of me that doesn't feel complete yet. So I started writing about my life, and it was the first time I'd done it. It's a scary thing sometimes when you write about yourself, right? It's mm -hmm. very intimate. So what ended up happening was I had these paragraphs and paragraphs, and I'm like, well, surely I'm not the only one out there because I remember being in elementary school and middle school and I was seeing kids exactly like me. These, these uh, native young faces, yeah, like native boys like me. Yeah, we are all kind of loners, all kind of outcasts because of other kids, sometimes bullied. And I realized that, you know, all of us have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. All of our stories are valid. And that's when I really learned that maybe I could help someone with this, or maybe it'll even just help me at the end of the day, it will be good to put it out there. Mm -hmm. So I made a pitch and I uh, made a podcast pitch. I had my high school, one of my high school teachers look over it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looked it over and I, I sent it off to CBC. And I was thinking like, I didn't go to journalism school and I, I don't have any experience in broadcasting really I had a job at the radio station operating a soundboard but that was that wasn't related to journalism or writing necessarily that was more of a tech job and then so I wasn't expecting anything but at the same time I was like well the worst that can happen is they say no and then I just move on to the next person <laughs> who's gonna listen to me right yeah so yeah so I I, I waited for a while and um, eventually they got back to me and they were interested. And that was the biggest shock to me. Or I, I don't want to say the biggest shock, but it was a, it was a loving surprise because I was like, oh my goodness, this is an opportunity. Because, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there as an artist and, you know, you're blessed by the creator with these gifts, you start with yourself and then you start helping others after that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I started making pieces. I moved to Vancouver um, in late 2019. I had about six months of the, uh, of the I want to say, pre-lockdown pandemic Vancouver. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then that's uh, where we are now. It got delayed for a little bit. But eventually we got working. Uh -huh. And uh, we, we released those two seasons in 2021. And um it was incredible because the whole thing, especially in season two, the whole thing we were focusing on was not just my story. Because I, at the end of season one, I've told my story, really. Mm -hmm. Now it's a matter of finding other people and you know, learning from them and learning from their teachings and their stories. 
mm-hmm. because those are valid, more valid, just as valid as mine. And it's yeah. not all about me. Individual individualism is a very colonial construct mm-hmm. because with our people, it's our people. Like it's people's. Like it, you know, there's a collectiveness and there's community and there's reciprocity and family. All of those things tie into who we are. So the idea of a celebrity isn't a very indigenous thing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not a very traditional thing if you say me, me, me. Yeah. So being in conversation with others and learning about who they are, it helps me learn who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's really the most important thing. So uh, there's something that you said in your uh, the episode I listened to at Teachings in the Air. There's something that you said that spoke to me about how you know, the way media reports about Native people, you they never ask the questions like, how did you get through it, when that's the question that people want to know the most. Mm-hmm. They're not asking questions that are strength-based. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we've tried to focus on in the second season was, it's important to focus, it's important to reflect on trauma but you can't revel in trauma because that's an exploitative thing. If you're interviewing a native person or someone with trauma and all you're doing is asking about how hard it was and what they went through, but you're not asking them, well, how did you get through it? Mm -hmm. You're here now. What's been healing in your life? And those are the kind of questions we really tried to ask when we were talking to people. It's like, well, what's been healing in your life? Mm -hmm. And they, they would light up. Because it was an incredible thing, and nobody asked these things to each other on recording. So they would talk about, oh, well, my family and I, we, we spend time together. And it's what you're talking about growing up with your family, right? You're laughing. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about colonialism. You're mm-hmm. not talking about identity. You're just being. <laughs> yes. And that's an incredible thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was just a. It was so amazing to, to learn all of these things, and especially at my age. Like, I'm so grateful to be where I am now, and I'm grateful to have people like yourself reach out to me because it's always a blessing and a learning. And that's really the what I take with me now is uh, as I'm 20, um, I'm learning how to continue learning and absorbing information. So I, I yeah, and I, I try to work out and stay fit and keep in touch with my family. You know, call my grandmother, call my mom, call my aunties, aunties, and then also I don't drink. You know, uh-huh. so because that's something that I also was thinking about as well is uh, in, you know seeing people in my family struggle with that, and yeah. it's something that. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I remember that. I remember those those struggles that they were going through, and I told myself, well, I'm not going to do that. Not because I think I'm better than other people or anything like that, but I see that it does something. Yeah, it does. it's not it's not from our people. It was, you know, yes. given to us mm-hmm. a, couple years, a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. Not, not that long ago, you know, because yeah. it was never part of our culture. You know, mm-hmm. remember, culture means a way of life. So, yeah. you know, so to me, it's a reflection of how healthy we were because the word health actually means um, it's describing a sound mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. So when you have a sound mind, you can, like you were saying, you absorbed. I'm so glad to hear you say that. 
Because when you absorb a teaching or knowledge, then you can reflect it. Because mm. words carry a tremendous power. Mm -hmm. You just think of all the indigenous people that have been impacted, even though they might not have heard it, that whole thing about stupid Indians. Yeah. That created identity, or that we cannot do it. That yeah. we need to be taken care of. Yeah. Now that's a lot of power. None of us have been immune to that. But yeah. many are in recovery now, like yourself. I'm so, you can't, you don't know how glad I am to talk to you and to know you exist. <laughs> because, you know, there are so many that have been assimilated. Mm -hmm. They talk like the colonizer, yeah. they're swearing all the time, they're angry all the time, they don't free themselves of negativity. Yeah. And I don't blame them. Like, I have relatives like that. I have friends that at times go there. <laughs> it took me a long yeah. time to mature not to go there, to, to know that aggression, because aggression means that you want to do harm to someone with words or actions or thoughts. Yeah. Like, I don't do aggression anymore. Yeah. You know, because... Um, at one time when I was doing anti-racism work, I was guilting them out and shaming them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I come to realize that didn't work. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> yeah. somebody guilts and yeah. shames me, it doesn't change me so much. Mm -hmm. But if somebody sits down and engages and connects with me and has a good talk, then I learn from that. You absorb it. Yeah. Yes, you absorb it, then you re become the echo or the reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an important thing that you speak about that because um, when I think about what, you know, I always, uh, Shannon Beauchamp was one of the people I spoke to on the second season of the podcast, and she uh, is a facilitator who goes to different communities, and she was telling me about purpose. And how I am so glad you're here and that the Creator blessed you with these gifts to go out there and share your story and tell the story of others. That really started to make me think about my own purpose. and Think about the way I grew up as well. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about, uh, you know, children don't think about race, I think about that as well. That's an important thing to touch upon. Mm -hmm. I spent every summer and Christmas on the reserve on Pelicaneros. It's where yeah. our people are. Yeah. And every every summer and Christmas, it was my grandmother's house, and my grandfather built that house. His friends, so it was uh, four bedrooms for six kids, yeah. <laughs> and two parents. So yeah, it was a little tight, but it wasn't too bad. But it was a good nice house. Yeah. And we were by the lake, it was by Jan Lake. So when I was with my cousins, I wasn't thinking about race or identity. You're right. I was I was having fun with my, my, my friends, my family. Mm -hmm. And, and as I was, um, you know, writing about my life in the podcast and talking to other people, I was realizing I need to come back to that. That's something that I need to really return to. So I reconnected with my family again. We became closer because of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, especially in the pandemic now where I'm, not only a ways from home, but I'm a ways from home for their safety as well, for the safety of our elders. Mm -hmm. 
and keeping my distance from them for the time being, but still in communication with them. Yeah. And worry about my cook them and make sure she's doing okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we all help one another now and that's the time. And that, and that's the thing is that once you realize that you can help other people and other people help you and you build on and absorb knowledge, you're breaking free of those chains that colonialism put upon you. And that's the way I like to think of it. If I was able to break free of those chains, yeah, it felt like a, like Superman. Like <laughs> it was a very like uh, empowering thing to be who I was. And also to realize that there was so much strength in being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. When you embrace your vulnerability or your sensitivity, your emotions, that makes you a much stronger person. Mm-hmm. because you're able to resonate with what's wrong inside you. And you, re- you need to realize, okay, well, how can I help that? And yeah. I think that also stems to what we were talking about with trauma as well. My mom, I love my mom. She's, mm-hmm. I think she did a great job, but she she could be a very angry person sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I look back on that and I realize that isn't her fault. And that isn't my grandmother's fault or my grandfather's fault. That's trauma and anxiety. And what trauma does and what anxiety does is it makes you afraid. And when you're afraid, you lash out. And that's what my mom was doing. As I realized, and she's a single parent, she's raising a kid. My dad's not helping. Mm -hmm. And then she doesn't have much, you know, none of our family are rich or anything. We're all very poor. So she started to work. And then she started to worry. She started to get anxiety. And then she started to get angry. That was something that I took with me now. As I, I felt that to some extent. As I got older, as I got angry. And I started fighting with my mom when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it now and I made peace with her now because I was like, why would I fight with my mom when I know that this isn't our fault? This is what this is what colonizers have put uh, done is they put us against each other rather than putting us together. Yeah, so by being able to yeah, I say yes, I agree, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. So by being able to reconnect with one another again, being able to break free of those chains, being able to embrace who I am, that goes against everything they were trying to put upon our people hundreds of years ago. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's how we start is we prosper in who we are, our culture, our family. And you see that online as well. You see creatives like me, like, you know, people who are out there and spreading their story and they're, they're helping other people and they're looking for their, their medicine. And, uh, you know, I carry that with me to who I am today. Is I'm trying to relearn my language again. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, I was asking my cook about this and she's uh, someone who sews and um, does beading and everything else like that. And then, I was like, Kukum, can you teach me my language? And the first thing she said was, well, there's an app that can teach you. And I was like, but I don't want to learn an app. I want to learn from you. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a, yeah, I was trying to uh, get some more information from that. So absorb. <laughs> yes. You see, because um, it's correct, you know, that um, it's, not, it's more important than to say what's wrong with you. Like, what happened? Because mm-hmm. when we say wrong, it's like um, your fault or negative. But you see, the connotation. Yes, yeah, like what happened? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, because, um, you know, I part of my way of thinking now is that I don't want to reaffirm anger or depression or fear in the people, mm-hmm. in the people. Because there are people yeah. that do that now. Like I, I found that out. I went to the downtown east side in Hastings and Maine or in Vancouver. Yeah. A place called the Aboriginal Front Door. And I was talking to the homeless, addicted people there in Circle. Mm. I went there to talk about residential school. At the end of the session, I'd seen many of them were leaving more angry, more depressed, more fearful. I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Because they know what happened. Yeah. They understand. I said, I need to talk more about, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. How are we going to get rid of anger once and for all? Because I'd I'd hear them saying things like, I'll never, ever forgive those priests and nuns at the residential school. I'm never going to get over my anger. And I'd say to myself, after a while, don't put yourself in anger jail. Yeah. Get it out of your system. You can only get so far when you fuel yourself with anger. Oh, I was angry for 14 years of my life about residential school. I became addicted, fall down drunk. After Mm -hmm. I sobered up, I said, gee, I was angry all those years and nothing changed. But Jerry got unhealthy. Very unhealthy. Yeah. No, but when I started to, a big part of my life was understanding forgiveness. Mm. to forgive the people that hurt me. Mm. I looked up the word forgive and it means to let go. Because I thought I was raised a Christian, I thought forgive means turn the other cheek and let them hit you on the other side and stuff like that, right? Right. Yeah. But I found out the actual meaning was to let go. It's like um, all of a sudden I said, okay, I'll let you go, abusers. You know, I let people <laughs> go and I'm not carrying them anymore. And I was, all of a sudden I was free. Yeah. And I literally felt lighter, physically lighter. When mm-hmm. I said that, I forgive you, abusers. I forgive you, church. I forgive you, government. You know, and I started to say that in my mind. I started to feel lighter. Because yeah. yeah. the elders would say, free yourself. Don't stay in that place of anger. You're not doing anyone any good staying there. Yeah. Free yourself of that depression. You know, put it down. It's not yours. Yuck with it, quiet. Free yourself. Put it down. Mm. You know, and... Um, that used to be one of our laws. Yeah. It was not to carry anger or to be greedy, to be respectful, to be generous, mm-hmm. to be part of, not the individual. Because yeah. the system today is what they call the pyramid system, you know, where people are trying to get to the top. Right. And step over people to get to the top and stuff like that. That's part of society. That's the part that um, I think is causing a lot of harm. Capitalism. Yes. See, ism again. Mm, yeah. Like, I didn't think of that until the pandemic. 
Because I would talk about racism, you know, the different isms, alcoholism, you know, chauvinism, misogynism, all of those isms. And it wasn't until a pandemic and I heard capitalism. Yeah. And they were talking about it in a positive way, you know, capitalism. I said, that's how far humanity has come. They don't even now recognize that capitalism is a negative mm-hmm. on Mother Earth. Yeah. I said, whoa, just like an awakening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. of, of that part. You know, because I understand alcoholism. You know, like my own life became totally unmanageable when I drank. I'd black yeah. out and I wouldn't know when to sober up or anything. You know, I just got lost in it. Mm-hmm. And, so that's it, an important. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was going to say, oh, that's an important thing that I'm realizing now as well, and I still wrestle with this is that capitalism, the way it's affected my family in terms of poverty. It got me to a point where when you have a kid worrying about money so much and he's a kid that he carries with that with him for the rest of his life. And what I'm trying to let go of now is financial anxiety because Mm -hmm. now seeing my mom struggle with bills growing up and growing up with money and or a lack of money, I'm at a point now where I want to make a living and do well for myself and I want to be able to take care of myself. But capitalism doesn't allow that without working extensively and then putting us to suffering in our own way because it seems like we're always climbing out of a trying to climb out of a hole that we can't climb out of and i realized that kind of evil connotation with yeah capitalism because i realized i was worrying so much about finances but i wasn't worrying about my family or myself i was worried about wealth and greed and all these other things that was something i was learning to let go as well so yeah, because um, the cure for capitalism is generosity. Mm-hmm. That used to be the measure of an indigenous person, how generous you were. Yeah, That's with material things also, with your time, with your happiness, with being helpful. All of those things was a measure of a person. Yeah. That you're generous. They know that you're a good man because you'll help You'll volunteer, you'll do things to increase a harmony, to create a sacred space, to, you know, to create um, paradise in your home Mm -hmm. by being generous. Not to put yourself out to being poverty, but recognizing when you have enough and then you can share it with others. Mm-hmm. Or you can help others, and I was taught when you give away, nephew, it goes in a circle. It comes back to you, mm-hmm. and I want you to understand. Sometimes it's a big circle. It won't come back mm-hmm. to you maybe for years, but it will come back. Yeah, it was a good teaching for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that generosity comes back to you. It's like I tell that story about my first hand drum, made my first hand drum. Oh, gee, I struggled with it because I was insecure, afraid to make mistakes. A perfectionist means you're 
if you're not going to be able to do it perfect, you're not going to do it at all. So I had that with me, and I'm making this drum, and my teacher said, telling me when to do it over. You laced it wrong there, you have to start over again. So I struggled, and I, but I finally made it, and because uh, to lace a drum to get it balanced, you know, and then uh, right tension so it sounds like a drum, not like a tin can when you hit it, <laughs> you know, with a <laughs> boom, boom. So they say drum in my language, pumaka, means a hand drum. Mm-hmm. So I made that drum. And I'm looking at it, and I say, oh, I'm so proud of myself. I was just feeling so good. And then my teacher comes along and says, that's good, Jerry. you done good. And he says, you know, yeah. you, ha- you know, you have to give it away, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and my mind, I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's the first good thing I made in my life. Why do I have to give it away, you know? <laughs> but I gave it away. And he says, don't worry, it'll come back. Yeah. And you've continued making good things since. Yes. Like yes, yeah. and to give things away, you know, it's teachings in the air. Yeah. So, charity is another thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, charity, that's generosity. It's, um, you know, when you see people doing whatever, good, like say, they're helping their children with something, go, go put in a little. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I was taught. Yeah. You know, like if there's a graduation, you just go over there and bring some food if they're having a feast or something. You know, do something. If not, yeah, stack chairs, do something. You know, pandemic, I send send some people some money, some things if I know they're struggling. You know, because I'm blessed. You know, I, I work. Yeah, I started making people cards recently. Yeah. Kind of like that, friends and family. It's good. Mm-hmm. Sincerity is something that I've been practicing as well in my language because I find that what we miss, I'm not against technology or cell phones or the internet. I think it's pretty neutral. It depends on what you do with it. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing it's taken away from us as people's is it's taking away our ability to be honest or sincere with one another, to be earnest. Oh. And I think that's, <laughs> and it's something that speaks to, um, you know, the way I talk to my friends now, because you realize that like my generation of people, like when I tell other people sincere, earnest things from the bottom of my heart, when I tell them like, Oh, I'm proud of you or, Oh, I'm really happy for you. Or like, you're so amazing and incredible so glad that you're my friend they light up because they they don't hear that as often as they should mm-hmm. and when when i do that it makes me feel good as well because i'm able to spread that kindness and that generosity to some extent when i don't have it in the form of gifts or anything else i can just be who i am i can be sensitive and earnest and <laughs> I find that that's what I was missing the whole time too was sincerity when people would tell me I'm proud of you yeah. you light up like that yeah, yeah. So I think that was, a, that was a really important thing that I'm trying to keep with me now because even as I talk to you now I'm so blessed to be talking with you you're the first conversation I've been having podcast related this year and it's such a great way to start yes it reminds me of one of my elders um, I, you know Wherever I'd go, I would um, 
become part of like when I was in Vancouver, I'm part of the Vancouver clan. Mm. And it's made up of Cree, Metis, Anishinaabe, all of probably every First Nation in Turtle Island. Oh, some wow. of the, some of them in Vancouver. Mm. You know, so I would go to places, you know, where there's indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Because it feels good. Because we yeah. we make jokes, we laugh, you know, we're we're one. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to the Friendship Center or you go to, um, like I used to go with uh, mental health and wellness circles and stuff, and, you know, we'd have snacks and I'd sing songs and we'd laugh and we'd talk about trauma and stuff, you know, but we're wanting to say goodbye to our problems. Yeah. And that was There's good. no isms in community. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's what I would do is... Um, create connections mm-hmm. where you can talk and listen to people in the show. And it's proven we can do that even during pandemic. Look at you and I here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's a way around everything. And, it's uh, a gift. Yes. So, yeah. so I just like to ask you, Jeremy, like, um, pick a group, maybe young people like yourself or elders or whoever. Just what does your spirit now say in a sense of a message you'd like to put out there to people that are listening? I want you to know that regardless of what your relationship to family is, regardless of what your relationship to friends is, regardless of what your relationship to self is, the power of our energy and spirit is so incredible and vast and wonderful. And the way the creator guides us through these hardships is, is unknowing and it's, it's a little bit uncertain at times. And it's really hard for us to navigate ourselves and our trauma, our relationships with our family if there's some difficulties there. So as you're going through that, it's an important thing to touch on the fact that you're still here. And there's so many people out there who are so glad that you're still here and you're still you. And whether they want to admit it or not, they're rooting for you. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible thing because when you hold each other up in strength, even just in the simplest ways of telling someone, I'm proud of you or I love you, or you are an amazing person and you're going to do so many amazing things. Or, oh, I can't wait to see you again and we can sing songs and hang out and just eat food together and have a fun time. That's the stuff. That's medicine. Mm -hmm. So never stop looking for medicine because that's always going to be out there somewhere. Your favorite food is always going to taste the same. You know, you're always going to have good things you can return to. You're always going to have medicine. If you don't have it now, then I hope it finds you soon. Ah, thank you for that. I just like to say this is Jerry Oldman with Teachings in the Air and talking to Jeremy Ratt today, a young man living in Coast Salish territory, originally from the Plains. You know, and it's been such a wonderful 
conversation about how to be, you know, how to return, to go home to the circle. You have to go back to the old principles that our people lived by for thousands of years. And there's that way of life that prevented things like extinction. There was nothing going extinct when the indigenous people were here by themselves. They were raised with respect and generosity and never to give up. But always to be there for the people and to be there for Mother Earth and everything that lives on Mother Earth. That's where we come from. So it's been such a pleasure for me to have a conversation with Jeremy Ratt. And I just wish him the best this year and thank him from the bottom of my heart for being part of this today, Jeremy. You know, I've been recording it. It will become a podcast on Teachings in the Air. And you're, to me, you're um, a role model for the youngsters out there. You know, to... Thank you. Okay, so I'll see you and I'll hear from you again in the future. And I just want to thank you again, Jeremy Ratt, for being part of Teachings in the Air. Thank you.